This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Brooks. It's been with so long. I was telling these guys before I started the show since I did something crazy and weird for the show. So today I was on the road to my girlfriend's cabin on Lake Shushwap in D.C., and we had to pull over and find a place to plug in my laptop. So we were walking down this beautiful boardwalk in Golden, and there's literally like beautiful beaches or benches that are right up against this river, and none of them have power outlets. So I found this hotel guy who let me sit on this patio at River's Edge right here for an unoccupied room and plug in my laptop. So here's where I'm at. We're going to have some fun today anyway. Uh, really excited to see our special guest here. It's week five. I've got my little cheat sheet out here, which is why I'm holding my phone. So I know Alyssa, CEO of Hip, Hip Camp. Super excited to have her here to talk about their business, newly launched iPhone app. And that you did some, something in the UK you're going to tell us about too, right? Yeah. Super excited about that. We've got David Mayako. Did I pronounce that right, David? Mayako. Yeah. David Miyako from the National Campground Program. He's the National Campground Program Manager at the National Park Service. He's going to share about the current status of campgrounds and national parks. That's always an interesting topic to me because they they seem, we spent a couple of years and we'll dive into this. We spent a couple of years around starting this company going state park to state park to state park. And they were such a wide variety of quality. I remember Tennessee and Kentucky stood out to me, Florida stood out for me, but some weren't as funded um, the same as others. So it's an interesting topic for me. And then we've got Jamie Lee, the owner of Lahab. Is it Lahav or Lahave? Lahave, River Campground. Lahav sounds more exotic. I don't know. Maybe there's something there from a glamping perspective. But Lahave River Campground. She's going to discuss her campground in preparation for the camping season. And then we got Jane and Joshua. Jane Ruth and Joshua is currently the author of Black Strap Glamping. And they're going to share a little bit about the opening of their glamping resort. So before I do that, I want to thank our sponsor, Fireside Accounting. If you guys, actually, it's not our sponsor. I'm so sorry. Fireside Accounting is next week because this is an extra episode. So we actually don't have a sponsor. So we'll just say it's sponsored by all of you, wonderful people. Sponsored by Hip Camp. Sponsored by Black Strap. I think sponsored by the National Park Service, too. Can we say that? Right. No, the government might get that messed Okay. So you guys want to go around and introduce yourself real quick and just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Let's start with Alyssa. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here with everybody. My name is Alyssa, and I'm the founder and CEO of Hip Camp. Hip Camp opened access to some of the most beautiful private land in the country for camping. So we really think about creating more places to camp and then also really value our partnerships with parks, state parks, and commercial campgrounds as well to create a great experience for people that should be get outside. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Whoever wants to go next, please. Awesome. I can go. My name is Jamie Lee, and I'm the owner of the LaHaye River Campground, which is on the south shore of beautiful Nova Scotia. I'm one of those crazy kids that up and sold everything and moved sight unseen and purchased a business amidst COVID. So living a very different lifestyle than when I was in southwestern Ontario before. So very excited to be here and have owned the campground now for just under two years. You said you're in Ontario? You said you're in Ontario? Which part? Close to Toronto or north near Barrie? Or, yeah, well, I was from North. London, Ontario before coming here. 
Okay. All right. Perfect. Go ahead, David. You want to go? Yeah. I'll go next. Hi, I'm David Miyako. I'm the National Campground Program Manager for the National Park Service. So my office is responsible for overseeing general policies and investment decisions for campgrounds in the National Park Service. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then uh, Jane and Joshua? Or yeah, just hey, Joshua, because Joshua is almost as crazy as me driving down the road in the middle of the show. Well, I'm the host, and I feel like it's my responsibility to do better. But and normally I would stop, but I've got 15 tubs of ice cream in the back of my van. I, 2 p.m. Eastern was the zone. Wait, 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 you're yeah, coming here with the ice cream, right? <laughs> no, I'm heading to Blackstrap. It's beautiful. It's 30 degrees here in Saskatchewan. So, yeah, I'm from Blackstrap Glamping Resort. We're opening up a new resort. Just about 25 minutes outside of Saskatoon, right in the heart of beautiful Blackstrap Provincial Park. Okay. I've never been to Saskatchewan yet. Got it. Oh, beautiful. It's on my list, right? So I'm getting there. Like I went to Halifax earlier this month. I went to Vancouver Island. Like I'm making my way around Canada. I've only been here for two years. So up the middle. Yeah. But yeah. So so what's on your desk, right? Like what's come across? Let's start with you, David, right? Like national parks. Because I think this also ties in, Alyssa, do you do, does Hip Camp allow some reservations here? Uh, obviously near, but you partner with parks or parks or 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 Where are you? I have to quickly make the TV, but it's really good friend with parks. Parks are here my really great data about the campground. So specifically, the our customers are most interested in is the campground fully closed. Or not, and can I go? So we do provide that data, and then we link over to recreation for people to complete that booking. We'd love to do a more collaboration endpoint, but that's how it works today. And we've gotten great feedback on that program. And David will will pass the mic to you. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. I think we do definitely like to work with partners like Hip Camp and others to expand that reach of camping, not just to the existing population of campers, but also people that just have never even thought about it, or people that. Maybe I've heard or have thought about camping, but just are familiar with it. And some of the things that we like to do in the National Park Service is very that range of experiences. You have your hardcore backcountry out in the wilderness camping, and then you have other types of car camping to Yellowstone or to Old Faithful Inn at the at Yellowstone or the Iwani at Yosemite, those high-end luxury resorts, which are not camping, but looking across the whole spectrum of overnight accommodations, we like to provide that kind of a breadth of opportunity for people. David, tell us how kind of the dynamic, and I know I probably know more about this. Alyssa knows more about this than most people do, but from the dynamic of most of our audience is private campground owners who mm-hmm. obviously have an affinity for the national parks and all the things that they offer. But sometimes there's a lack of, I think, clarity on the difference between the mission of the national park with its campgrounds, which is probably the same as the mission for private campground owners to connect people with the outdoors and things. But obviously there are differences. Tell me a little bit about how the National Parks Campground Service works at a basic level to start with. Yeah. So I mentioned the whole spectrum of opportunities, right? We campgrounds are part of the whole National Park Service mission where we are responsible for both conserving the resources of various national parks that are entrusted to our care, as well as providing for the enjoyment of them. And that kind of dual mandate is challenging at times in the sense that we are responsible for conservation, for making sure that things remain in a natural state, but also providing for, in the cases of, of like Yosemite, for example, the millions upon millions of visitors that come every year, 
So how do you balance those two things? And campgrounds play a special role because who doesn't love to go camping in a national camp or national park site? And at its basic level, we want to provide, like I was mentioning, that spectrum of opportunities for all kinds of people, whether you are that value conscious visitor that really wants just to have a place to sleep at night and then spend the rest of your day out on the trails to someone that wants to experience a historic resort. Hey, shit. Yeah. Um, I'm still here. I'm alive. I was just trying to move. Continue, please. I'm listening to you. Yeah. So, so I thought you were, you're thinking. I didn't, die. I didn't die. I promise. I'm right here. Yeah. As part of the federal government, we want to provide that opportunity for all, everyone, for any economic level that you choose to engage. Yeah, I think that one of the big challenges with camping is you do have to serve such a wide range of people, whether it's the economic spectrum or experience level, like people who yeah. can filter their own water and have all that level of expertise, all the way up to people who maybe have never camped before and really want to give it a try. And so that's something we think about a lot as well. And I'm sure, Jamie, at your campground, you've seen that full spectrum arise as well. Oh, yeah. We see a lot of folks that have typically only stayed in, say, provincial or national parks before. And there's so many qualities to be appreciated with the preservation of nature and just the quality that everything's done. And then we have folks that come into a mom-pa family-run campground like ours where they might get more of a homey feel, more events. Maybe there's a little bit more like liveliness going on. But then you've got folks like myself that are working on renovating and fixing everything up. And we're just... We're not at the same standard quite yet, but pros and cons. <laughs> yeah. And I think glamping is an interesting, it's not necessarily a new phenomenon, but an interesting phenomenon that's coming up. And I feel like that is is something that's just gaining more and more traction. A lot of people are interested in that. And then for park service, we have to balance the amenities with the price point because we, we don't yeah. want to make everything so expensive that no one could come except for people that have the means. But that is something that is on our mind. I don't know. Any thoughts about glamping Blackstrap? Yeah, it's the same thing. Our relationship's a little bit different with the provincial park. They put out an RFP, the, the ministry to have leased land. So we just have a location that we've leased with the parks and then they still have their same options set up and tents or pulling your camper, anything like that. But we're just offering a full service glamping experience, a little bit separate from the park, but within the park amenities. Yeah. I apologize, guys. I should be back now. I moved and then I had problems with the hotel internet where it was too slow. So I switched to my hotspot. All kinds of fun things are happening today. But it will be better without me talking. I guarantee it. So I'm glad you guys were able to keep it up. Yeah. So we're really glad. We're, we're talking about Blackstrap. We're talking glancing. And I was actually going to say to David, I grew up camping in Yosemite Valley in the housekeeping camp. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting, affordable. I don't know if we want to call housekeeping camp. For those of you who aren't familiar, there are these, Go you know, tents, horrible punk. So you've got to bring your own sleeping bag. But it's clean trash. That's okay. And I just always thought that was such an interesting, like, I think of that as kind of itching in a way. I don't think we want to brand it that way. It does really service the goal of, I don't have all the gear. Like, and I thought that was such an affordable, cool option. Oh, Honestly, yeah. We've had these discussions, Alyssa, on, on many of these different shows as far as what actually defines glamping. Is that the word that is going to be the word for the foreseeable future? And I don't think there really is a, a one size fits all. And then you talk about experiential hospitality, which comes from the hotel industry and all that, right? 
I think it just depends on what your experience is. What does luxury camping mean to you? Maybe people aren't used to having that basic tent with a cot, but maybe that is glamping to a different audience. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of, I do think I would really serve all of us customers to create their different I was recently in Mexico and I was with a group of women who saw a sign for a new glamping resort, which I like wanted to go meet these people because I'm like, who are these amazing people in rural Mexico opening the glamping campground? I want to meet them. And I actually got to listen to them say, oh, wow, that sounds cool. Then they were like, what does that mean? Is there, are there beds or is there electricity? I don't know what that means. And so they, I watched them dismiss it. I actually emailed Ruben, who I'm sure a lot of us know, um, an amazing leader at the American Glamping Association. And he was like, yep, we don't have a definition for this. And it's when we struggle with this, I'm sure others do as well. Sometimes glamping means incredible linen with like full service, everything. And sometimes I think of housekeeping camp in Yosemite and like that kind of fits in the lifting box in my mind because I don't have to pitch a tent if I arrive at 10 p.m. And that's right. <laughs> And I think that's what it is. Like Ruben's a regular host on our guest on our show. We have a glamping focused episode the second week of every month. So that's probably part of where we had that discussion at. But I think it really is all about the experience for someone. And I think that's where it has to eventually go is you get more hotels and brands and Marriott and places that are playing in this space. You're going to see the evolution of what tr- truly is outdoor hospitality. So we'd learn we- to get very clear on like our marketing when we're talking about these things, because expectations are so different for everyone. So we like to be as upfront as we can be. I'm sitting in front of one of our tiny cabins, for example, and they're very rustic, unfinished, like 10 by 10 spaces that sound very similar to the housekeeping camps that you're talking about, Alyssa. And for some people, they show up and it's luxury because they don't have to pitch a tent and they've got a roof over them if it rains and they're so happy. And then we might have other folks that expected more of a cabin or a cottage experience. And they're like, this is not for me. So we really try to have as many upfront conversations and be as cautious with our marketing as we can be because we want happy campers. It's an age old thing. And I think I remember like my company, we did, we do marketing for 400 campgrounds now, but when we were first starting out, we were doing review responses and we consistently read those books. Like Hug Your Haters was a great book that we read. And it consistently said, I think 80% of all negative reviews come from expectations not being matched when they get there. And so if you just put photos, if you tell people exactly, you're going to get business. If you're running a good business, if you're taking care of your customers, if you obviously Mm -hmm. have to do market research, right? It's not a field of dreams type thing for a lot of, maybe it was in 2022 and 2021, but (laughs) now it's going to be resettled a bit. But yeah, as long as you're transparent with people and you've done your market research, you've got an audience there. Somebody's going to like it if you're treating them well and giving them a great experience. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's well, actually something we've been trying to do. Right. Let's see. You I do. Oh, sorry. Did I? No, we're just on a leg. Go ahead, please. Oh, no. Alyssa, you mentioned the recreation.gov. That's something that we're trying to into recreation.gov for people to build the, oh, this campsite is where I'm going to pay. I get the best so the layout. Oh, I'm going to put my tent there. I'm going to put my cooking stuff there. And so that's something that each park is each park ranger within the campsite are going to go around and take their mobile phone and take pictures. It's getting there. And that's something that we're like trying to enhance recreation outgov with. Can we talk a little bit about the amenities at some of the national park campgrounds? Obviously they probably vary, right? And the reason I ask is because being up here in Canada now, we've seen some of the, I can't remember the national parks. I think I feel like they are that are adding some of the really nice glamping yurts and experiences Mm -hmm. inside the park. 
Is that something that the National Park Service is doing anywhere or has plans to do or would like to do? We're definitely open to it. It's not, it's not necessarily part of a long range plan or anything. Right now, what we're focusing on, there's something that Congress released called the Great American Outdoors Act. It was a piece of legislation yeah. that provided a bunch of funding for public lands, not national parks, but like Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management, all that stuff. And that's been a really great boom to us. And what we've done with that is really take care of the back of the house stuff. So the non-sexy stuff, wastewater treatment plants and facility corridors and stuff like that. So the fat stuff doesn't work. It, you could have a nice picnic table, but if your toilet doesn't flush, you're not going to be a happy camper. And so what we're hoping for in this next phase, there's additional planning is to be able to address some of those more tangible felt things like picnic table firings and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm shocked that they, I'm shocked you don't have a bigger budget than the Pentagon. I feel like that's the way it should work, but it, I, well, I was surprised to learn that you can actually put people in a national park and they feel icky. There are actually people who like, don't like being there. And I didn't know they existed, but apparently they do. I'm not saying they're all senators. Maybe they aren't. I'm in Canada. I'm safe. I, maybe I can see that, but you definitely should have more funding for sure. Like the national parks are treasures that. I feel like if more people experienced and sat in the middle and went on a hiking trail, they would realize how powerful yeah. these places are. Plus a million. Employee, I can't talk about requesting funding, but yeah, it's, I could just say. Well, you can't talk about it. That's why I said it. So you don't have to say <laughs> oh, yeah. that wrong. I could say plus one million for more funding for public lands. The studies are so clear that for every dollar we spend on public parks, and by the way, this includes campgrounds as well, the economically, the merge to the surrounding cities, it's general is massive, even can be 10 to one. And so it's just such a smart place to invest both for rural economic development, but also for stewarding our natural resources for a long time to come. So could not agree more, Brian. Well, and it goes beyond that too, right? It goes to mental health and the well-being of people and just endless, right? You're never going to convince me the Pentagon needs a bigger budget. That's a whole nother can of work. We already <laughs> opened up on the show. And I'm sorry, Black Sharp Black Figures, I have you muted because you had some feedback on your phone. So if you want to talk, just raise your hand and I'm happy to unmute you. There's a little bit of squeaky, squealy. Oh, you want to, oh, now, like that was quick. He wants to talk already. All right, go ahead. I've gotten off the road now. I've gotten to the park. So I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I know that the, with, with Canada parks, Parks Canada, that they have those tent tricks stays that you can do. So you show up and they've got these little canvas type safari tents set up with wood platforms. I've never stayed in one, yeah. so I don't know the amenities that they all have inside of them. But we also have here at Provincial Parks, we have what's called Camp Easy Sites. So they basically a yurt and inside of them have these army style cots, wood base. And then outside there's a lock box where you can get stuff for like pots and pans. And that's all provided for the park. They're not pretty to look at by any means, but I've talked to the parks and it's been a huge success for them. And they, I think their rental rate all summer is close to 90%. And that goes to exactly what we're saying, right? I think it's the experience and I think it's, it depends really on what you're looking for and what you also want to do in the middle of that experience or in the area around that experience, if you're in the middle of the national park or a provincial park or in the area around the city. I remember we go back like 200 years, right? We were touring a, a couple of months ago, we were touring an old civil war fort or something, or actually it was earlier in May. It was in Halifax, I think one of the old forts. They were showing us how the soldier used to sleep on like these hard wooden things all crammed together with 40 people in the same room. They had to be ready to go to defend the city. So they had to sleep with their backpacks on, laying flat on their backs, ready to go in 30 seconds or less. 
But those people at that time really wanted to defend their city. So the experience they were having is probably not as bad as we imagine it is today. So I think everything got, ties back into that experience and what people are looking for. I don't know if that story is relevant, but I thought it was for a second. But it's true. And to feed off of your comment about mental health, too, I think especially after the experiences and the traumas that everyone's been through in the past few years, like reconnecting to nature and to community and getting to experience the great outdoors together with friends and family or maybe meeting new people, like you can genuinely see the difference when people roll into the campground on a Friday after maybe they've been working in the city and they're under their typical pressures versus after spending a couple days out here with one another. It's like a weight gets lifted and that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to see people experience that. And you don't get tired of it either, which is what's really interesting to me. Like the forest, and obviously every person's different, right? But I lived in Florida for a year or two, right by Daytona Beach. And we were nine minutes away from the beach. And when you move to whatever city, but insert in my case, Daytona, we're gonna go to the beach every day. It's gonna be so exciting. We're so close. And then we go two times. Or we're 45 minutes from Disney World. We're going to go there every time. And we go there like once. And then your relatives come from out of town. Where do you want to go? Really? You want to go to Disney? <laughs> but it's the same thing. Where, but what I found, and I don't know if this, is, this translates to any of you who can tell a similar story, but living up here in Calgary, 45 minutes from Banff, it doesn't matter how many times I drive by a mountain. It doesn't matter how many times I drive by a river. Like, I, man, I feel better. And it's, <laughs> I want to go over and over again. So I don't know what that difference is. Maybe it's a me thing. Maybe there is people who will do the beach thing, but it's for sure. It's mental health. It's well-being. It's, I don't know how to describe it. There's, I can't put a word to it. So good for the soul. And the, sci the science is so clear here now as well. Like the amount of study that able to be that they can put there that they're has incredible mental health benefits, emotional health benefits, but also physical health benefits. There's actually an amazing researcher in Japan named Miyazaki who has proven that time outside actually not only more, lowers your cortisol level, so your actual hormone, like they're actually measuring in your blood and being able to see the impact going outside has, you actually have lower stress levels for up to a month after a couple of days outside. And we've proven that. And so to me, that part of my back to how important it is for us to fund our public lands more healthfully. Like it is healthcare. I need to look at it. You're right. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. preventative health, like healthcare instead of yeah. reactive healthcare, what we need to work toward in a lot of ways. So I will pitch that the park service, the national park service does have a whole park RX, but the prescriptions type thing, a whole program about park prescriptions and this whole advocacy of getting out into parks to address mental health, to address physical health, to address all of those things and looking at parks as that platform to be able to have that healing experience. There's even like a hashtag share your park story or your park story. I should probably have that memorized, but it's a hashtag. Go look it up on your favorite search engine of choice. But that's something that the park service has been looking at is how can people use parks for healing opportunities? So what are you most excited about, David, from a national park perspective? We've had Great, Out Great American Outdoors Act is a couple of years old now. I think there's a couple, there's a new bill that's weaving its way through that's coming up for a vote. I, can, yeah. I can't remember if it has to do with national parks specifically, but. 
Yeah, there's a few bills out there with various funding for things in national parks. I think, so you know, in terms of... I'm sorry, go ahead. Like, oh, no. I think in terms of camping, you mentioned that some people mm. maybe are so fond of the national park camping experience. We do have a significant, we call it a deterred maintenance backlog. So all of the maintenance that we would like to do, that we should do, but we just don't have funding to do, but being followed to just repair and fix them. With the Great American Outdoors Act, that's just really exciting to be able to just take care of the basic, you know, wastewater treatment plants and electrical distribution lines and stuff that you never hopefully think about because you're just so busy having fun hiking and enjoying your camping experience that you don't think about the sewage system. I want to move past the sewage system. I want to move into a place where we can actually address some of those things that people want. We know that everyone bought RVs during the past few years because how can we bring electricity to more of our campsites? Because it's always nicer to have an, a full hookup campsite as opposed to having someone run a generator. Nothing against generators. You know, it's just well, a noisy, place. right? Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. 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 So that's like the next phase is to be able to address those kind of things that make things a better experience instead of just maintaining what we got. Makes sense. I mean, if there was a way, I feel like me, Alyssa, everybody on board every, here and everybody watching is on board, but maybe we all just need to run for office in our states and give all the funding to the National Park Service. We need a recruit, a couple hundred, right, in the house. But, so, so Alyssa, tell us a little bit about, let's try to get this back on track if I can stay in one place here and not mess up the show on my, my camera doesn't follow everything. Tell us a little bit about what Hip Camp's been up to lately and your expansion plans or what yeah. you actually accomplished than your plans if you can share yeah, well, I'll go into that a little bit, but I got to grow up camping mostly all California. And hip camp for me came from a camping trip where I spent lots of time trying to plan a great experience for my then boyfriend, now husband, trying to convince him not to move back to Australia by showing him the beauty of California. And after arriving at the campground, found out that despite all my research, I hadn't learned that there was a beautiful surf ring and everyone had their wetsuits and their surfboards. And I had it known to bring mine. I love to surf. I keep it in my car most of the time, but I'd taken it out because I had camping gear and I wanted to have room in the car for friends. So for me, hip camp came as an idea really the next day of just, wow, this whole experience finding somewhere to camp is too hard. And when I go outside, what we were just talking about, I feel better. Healthier, I feel healthier, and I have more people access that. And so the camp originally started putting all the different public campgrounds on one map. Oh, no. oh gosh. I and then what we learned over time was that so much of those campsites were pulled up that people weren't actually able to get outside well. And that was when we started reaching out to private landowners, to ranchers, farmers, vineyards, nonprofits. There's an incredible amount of private land out there. So creating more places to camp was really an important goal for hip camp. I just saw a report from KOA that said over half of the people who started camping in the last couple of years are either going to camping or camp less often because it was just too hard to find a good campsite. And I think that is like the big challenge we have to really wrestle with as an industry. And so to fast forward to today, we still are really focused on creating more space. You know, but I think also that really as an industry, and Brian, you and I got we're the last call to kind of experience some of this together, but the campground industry is really changing. 
And it's really great to see all these different gimmicks systems and then all these different applications like HipCamp or others that are focused on campers really coming together and doing these different integrations so that we can make it simpler to find a campsite. And for HipCamp, we have so many more people searching for camping than we have places to send them. That for us, that's just very exciting. So we're partnering, we just launched a big partnership with RansNexus, which is an amazing PMS, Overpass, Nubuff, Bedbull, these are PMS systems that are really supporting their campgrounds and finding more campers and really helps us in terms of finding more places to send people to camp. So I think it's a sea change kind of moment for the industry and we're really excited about it. Yeah, I can't be more excited about where it's going, but I'm going to leave the focus on you. I don't want to distract, talk about something that's even, that's more boring than what you're going to say. I'm going to stick with your exciting stuff. My question is, and I'll ask you a little bit of a brief, hard question, right? It's not really hard, but what sets hip camp apart from the other places who are also trying to do something similar? Yeah, so the big differentiator is that we're just about 90% of the sites you can find on hip camp are only on hip camp. So because okay. we spent five or so years focused almost exclusively on reaching out to new landowners who prior to hip camp never had camping on their land. Maybe they had like David, there's a really popular hip camp right outside the national park that's a rafting company. And they've got land because it's easy for storing their rafts and for put in, put out on the river. But now people get to camp. And that's amazing, especially if they're lucky enough to score a day time to go into the park during the day. And so I think that's really our differentiator, but over time and where we're really focused today is on doing these different integrations with the various PMS systems so that we can also help people connect with all the amazing private campgrounds that are out there and then continuing to lean into our different partnerships with national parks and state parks so that public land can continue to be really accessible as well. We view public land as the backbone that we're all building on top of and extending here. And so we want to make sure that also stays really accessible for people in front and center. And I think that's one of the things like you hear from private campground owners who aren't familiar or as familiar as they should be, except for the name, right? The hip camp, the harvest host, et cetera, et cetera. And they feel like you're competition, but you're not really just as we've discussed experiences. There are some people who want to stay in the tent with the cot. There are some people who want to stay in the cottage versus the cabin. And I think that's critical for us to get that message out that you are attempting to feed people everywhere. And there are so many people out there that you're going to be happy with whatever you choose. Nobody, like you're not taking away a tent camper from somebody who would stay in a cabin. Yeah, exactly. And some of our most, you know, popular hip camps are public or private campgrounds. So we see people really finding whatever is best for them. And again, with these PMS integrations, it's been super exciting. We've had some campgrounds that have been able through our different partnerships. As Nexus, a river path, or new book to hook up to the hip camp system. And one of them started seeing almost twice as many bookings. So for us, it's really about people want to get out there. I love your point about 80% of bad reviews come from mid expectations. Mm-hmm. That's so important. And so for us, it's really just make sure the expectations are correct and then let people choose what's going to be the best experience for them because it's suddenly different for everybody and especially different times of their life or different people they're traveling with. And so having that range is really where we're focused. And I think sometimes it's scary to do that, right? Because you're afraid maybe if I put up pictures of my website, or maybe if I tell people what it really is that I'm going to lose some customers, but you are, you probably will. The problem is that those people aren't really the people you wanted to begin with. And then by putting up those photos and by 
putting up correct descriptions on your website and everywhere else, you're going to find a new audience who didn't know you had what they were looking for to replace those people. And so I think there's just some nervousness and hesitation from a lot of people to pull that trigger in because it's a risk. Yeah. But and if Jamie can speak to this really well, I'm sure she sees this. What we see is that these, these different businesses, word of mouth is what you're going to live or die by. And you need to, it might be exciting to grow super fast at the beginning, but at the end of the day, you need people who want to come back again and again. Yeah, I'm sure, Jamie, you live that, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I can completely appreciate what you're speaking to, Alyssa. Our biggest struggle is that we're like this hidden gem of the South Shore. So getting the word out, these apps like like HipCamp or Verbo or Airbnb, like they're seeing traffic that we would never see if it weren't for these other platforms. And the tech is really the crucial part. It's so great to see these integrations happening with our software booking systems so that we can confidently advertise on multiple platforms and know, okay, we're not going to have multiple bookings come through while we're sleeping, for example. That integration gives that peace of mind. And you then do have to worry, I think, a little bit more about the clarity with your marketing and what you have to offer because people aren't maybe searching private campgrounds in Nova Scotia, they're looking on Airbnb where maybe the expectations are a bit different. But if the messaging's clear, the marketing's there and you're trying your best to appease people when they arrive, there's so much value add to partnering. That's how we see it. Jamie, what canvas are you guys using? We're using CampSpot, which is based out of the States and they're just working on integrating with Verbo and Airbnb right now. It's a currency issue, but we're looking forward to getting on there soon. Yeah, we'd love to get to work with Campspot Host, actually. We've also been working on that one. And especially if you've got camping or RV sites, I think we could be sending a lot of camper into your world. That would be amazing. Yes, we'll have to chat after this. So tell us, Jamie, and I apologize if I missed this when my camera was flopping all around on the ground, but how did you get started at La Haye River Campground? It was pretty wild. Like, my partner and I, we were just hustling and bustling in Ontario and got that real burnout that cemented amidst the pandemic. And we knew we had to get out. And we thought about building a campground from scratch, maybe doing some tiny cabins, for example, and going the Airbnb route. And then we started looking at campgrounds and we were like, okay, this is an option with an existing clientele and within an already supportive community that's within our means. So We bought the campground just over a year and a half ago now. And it's a cool story too, because it's very grassroots here. The gentleman that first opened it before I was born still lives at the top of the hill. And he blew out his backyard so that his friends could come camping here. And it just grew from 10, 20 sites up to we're just under 100 now. So still modest, which is great. And yeah, we're loving it. It's it's been a wild ride. Having bought Sight Unseen, there's been a lot of work and David, I can appreciate when you're speaking to getting those basic things in order that people don't see but need, like water, power, sewage. We spend a lot of time there and we're starting to dive into more of the cosmetic fun upgrades now, which we're excited about. What do you want to what do you want to do? Top three list on your list if you had. It's so hard to pick. Our idea list is huge. Our campers love our shelter. We have a community space here where we run events for all ages, like so many events a weekend. So that's on our list to upgrade that. And then some other amenities around the park that we're actively fixing up are like playground for the children. We want to build a really sweet dock because we're right on the La Haye River and it's beautiful for swimming. So those are some of our next priorities. And then one day renovating these cabins as well, fixing them up with Smith. Is it cold for swimming or is it just when the glitch? 
because you don't have glaciers melting into the rivers over there, do you? Like we I was Calgary. in it on Sunday and it was cold, but to get in May is decent. It's not cold like the ocean. That's freezing. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, our rivers are super cold till about probably late May, I think, because you're getting all this stuff. They're always cold, right? But they're colder when that glacier yeah. melted out of the mountain and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. Sorry, please. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the, the dogs and the kids are the only ones as crazy as I had to be in already, but we're. The heat's coming in and we're getting close to smoke. Well, I was. So that's so I was. That's why I asked. I wasn't going to tell the story, but there's a really cool hot spring we found in Oakland, BC. It's like a natural hot spring, not one of the built up ones. So there are little rock pools that are sitting right by a river. Amazing location. I can't remember the name of it right now, but we were down there and my girlfriend was like, told me to take a dip in the super ice cold water. This is like January or December or something like that. And I did it because she dared me. I had to do it, but it was super, apparently it was healthy for me. So I might live another 10 years. They say that. So we'll see. But where'd Blackstrap Clampy Resort go? I feel like he's there when I look up and I want to talk to him and then he just vanished. There you are. So tell us. Oh, Matt, just talking a little bit about water septic. We, we've got our guys in here right now, putting in the water mm -hmm. septic and I'll share some pictures or if you go into our face, the phase that we're in. And I told them I'd cook them up some burgers for 1230 here. So they came down to, to come look for that. So I'm, I'm cooking burgers, putting away ice cream and doing a podcast all at the same time. Life of a glamping entrepreneur, eh? So I do apologize for running around. No, you're fine. Tell it, but tell, while I have you for a second, tell us about Blackstrap Glamping Resort. What did you, how did you get started? Yeah. So as you can probably see, there's a little bit of a tiki vibe going on here. I'm at our original location. So what we did here is we purchased, or we made a, uh, a tiki bar out of this container. Really? So it's a 20-foot sea container, modified that into a, a tiki bar. And that's right here at Blackstrap Provincial Park. So we've been setting up some routes here. Like I said, it's about 25 minutes from Saskatoon, from the city. Then there was a, an RFP that had come out. And we work really well with the park, different things. We do their merchandise for them. We also have this business here. So when the RFP came up, we obviously wanted to bid on it. I had the idea to do the geodesic domes. I'd seen them around. I absolutely love them. And there's a space that they have here in Blackstrap that is just, as you step away from the hustle and bustle of the park, and all of a sudden you're in this serene little piece of, of the park with lots of foliage. It feels like a jungle when you're inside of that little area. And that's where they allowed me to, to pick our spot to build this glapping resort. We're, like I said, we're just in the midst of, there's big craters going on about four minutes behind me here. They're putting in the water and septic right now. And then our schedule's looking absolutely fantastic. And we're hoping to be open here for mid-July with six geodesic domes for our phase one. That's awesome. So what are your future plans? Are you going to, is it just going to be the domes? Or are you going to build, do you have the ability to add some amenities there? Or is it just the park that's the attraction or? Oh, no, we, there's some options. There's so many amenities that are here. And we work well with the parks. They've put in a nice pavilion that's inside there. Blackstrap has one of the highest man-made points in Saskatchewan, which isn't very high. I understand that, but it's, it's this mountain. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to say it out loud. I was thinking it does. It's true. It was put in there for the winter games back in, I think, 79 or something. So there's those amenities, lots of beautiful hiking trails. The mountain biking is great here. We have a really nice beach. And again, everything's still close to the city here. So it's... Not so much the amenities that I think that we need to work on is maybe just some interesting shelter choices of what we'd like to see. And my mind's been all over there from vintage 
RVs to mirror cabins to hanging tree domes. I don't know. There's a lot of different things that are going on. But right now we're really happy with our choice to, to start with these domes. We've got a really solid structure. Do we lose him? Or is it me? We lost him. They're working on the wire. <laughs> All right. Everybody else moving. So we're going to assume that it's him. But he comes back and he finishes his story. But that's, it's really interesting, the evolution of some of these glamping spaces. Though. Alyssa, Alyssa, were you at the glamping show? I know we saw each other at Arvik. Were you at the glamping show too? We were at the glamping show this year. We would love to come back in the future. I just had a baby a, a year and a half ago. So that's my congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Very so, great things. And I, I think some of our team has been in the country as well. And again, I think it's an important new part of the industry to figure out. Yeah, it's fascinating where it's evolving from. And for sure, come to the glamping show if you can this year. I'll be there at some point, I think, covering it for a modern campground. But it's interesting. We were there last year and we, we met so many people from so many different countries overseas. Alyssa, having expanded it, the UK yeah. has been in, in the glamping scene for way longer than the United yeah. States and has been. And I think that's contributed a little bit to the evolution of some of their accommodations that they're able to offer. And so I'm very interested to see. Seeing some of those vendors who came from overseas, from the London glamping show to maybe the first time in Colorado, there's obviously a lot of people who attended there who were looking for infrastructures. structures, but seeing some of those things that have come from South Africa, from Australia, from everywhere else, and the difference in what people perceive as glamping here, which is really just yurts right now, or luxury bell tents a little bit with a dome market. But where do you think this is heading? Where do we, is there any... And I know that's a very broad question, so maybe let me narrow it and say, is there into, anything interesting that has come across for you, Alyssa, or maybe David, you've seen that you've, I really want to add, sneak that into a national park, or do you just set it up overnight, David, and they won't even notice, or Jamie, that you're looking at for your campground, right? Is there any kind of unique accommodation that you've seen that really is like, wow, I want to, I think that's going to be a cool thing. I'm partial to schoolies. Like we drove here across Canada in our schoolie bus, and there's such a movement that's grown in them. Shipping containers, I know were mentioned, and what you can do with shipping containers or what are they called? The seed feeders that are circular? I can't think of a name, but there's just so many great things happening with this tiny home movement. I love it. Yeah, I really agree. And just to share a bit of the UK perspective, based on the research I've been able to do, I think camping was invented in the UK. And I think it was a thing in the UK way before the United States. Hold on. How are you defining camping? Because we had to define glamping. I know. So I like the Chagrin men were also campers. It's a good question. I'm defining glamping, camping as people taking some kind of tent structure and like going into nature for the purpose of pure referees. If we really okay. want to give the UK credit, kings and queens in the UK have been glamping, by the way. Let's call that glamping. Centuries. They would do it for recreation too. They would go have a picnic, family attached to a hunt. But I'm not, I'm saying like, not just kings and queens, not the monarchy, but others started camping for okay. fun around, I think, the late 1800s. And what we've learned about the UK market is they really have a lot more decades of experience here than the US in a lot of ways. And so the industry there does feel, yeah, just a lot further along. For example, we were pretty surprised when we started exploring there to realize that every campground in the UK has a PMS and all the PMSs integrate with all the different that people might use and that's been that way for like years we were like and they're like oh, yeah, get us catch up i think um, australia is the same way 
Australia is a little different, but there is also some things there that I think are very with the integrations. I think I saw somebody had that at Glamping show. They were, yeah. But anyway, continue. Yeah. So like we went in Australia. They're probably the biggest humans there. They're amazing. They're a great partner. We really love them too. So it's just interesting to see how these have evolved over time. And I think glamping, it is a big question of what we always talk to a lot of our hosts about this. It's really exciting when you see that higher price point per night, right? You're like, oh, that would be really, like, there's a lot more work too. Especially if you're offering linens, right? If you're offering then you have to turn linens every time. Like to me, it takes away a lot of what makes camping like easier to host because yeah. if someone's bringing their own sleeping, you can just get it. So I, I'm partial to structures where people still bring their sleeping bags. Yeah. Both worlds. And then of course, there are people who don't have sleeping bags and let's figure out how to include them as well. But I think if you have a structure, but you bring your sleeping bag that's a nice blend for the host and the camper yeah again i think it's an experience because if you chances are if you've got that sleeping bag you're a backcountry camper or you go tenting frequently or whatever right and so that bed with a sleeping bag is a nice upgrade to you it's super comfortable yep. whereas somebody who's coming down from a marriott it's hard as yep. a rock especially if you have like jamie was saying you get thought a weekend people like a lot of them are leaving Friday. They don't always feel like they can leave work early. I wish they did, but they don't. So then they're in like traffic and then they're like trying to get out of the city and then they're hungry and then they're hangry and then they have to stop for dinner. And then by the time they get to the campground, it's late, tired, it's a lot. And so I think just being able to walk into in a suite, like the cabin here in front of Jamie looks awesome. And, and it's easy, right? It bridges that gap for folks that like, you're right. Either are burnt out from the week and don't have a lot of time for preparations or for folks maybe that are coming from the Marriott and are coming here because maybe they're friends here, but they've never camped before. It's like that soft intro of, oh, maybe it's not so scary. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, think, I think the word camping feels like work to a lot of people who haven't done it frequently. And that's maybe that's honestly like a marketing angle we need to target as an industry. I don't know. I don't know how you do that because everybody's experience is different, right? It's not like a tourism bureau where you can target something. I don't know. Totally. I'm really keen to see camping become inclusive of lamping and all of that. I think camping is like we're going out into the woods or to the river or to the ocean or wherever to be in nature. And then whether I'm in a canvas tent or I popped up my own tent, that's again, expectation setting more than a different activity. I think that would be helpful. Sorry, it's just interesting. I'm a marketing guy now, so my brain is going. I'd never actually thought about that before, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. But David, how does the NBS doesn't do any marketing, do they? Somebody told me that. Not technically, no. We are a federal agency for our really popular campsites. We don't need to do any marketing. If you've ever been to like Yosemite during Memorial Day weekend, that just happened. You, I don't want to say stay away, but just consider your choices. There are other less known parks and campgrounds within the national park system that definitely are worth a look and they're all unique in some way. That's why they are national parks is that they're special and have some sort of unique attribute to them. And I think the people that know, and they're fine. I think going back to the whole marketing aspect, I live now outside Yosemite. I go to a city called Merced, which is maybe two ish hours outside the park. There are people there when you say, oh, I, I, I live near Yosemite. Oh, what is that? Is it, do they have like swings and play structures there? Like it's a park. They think of park as their county park where yes. they have that kind of equipment, not what it is. And then A, to let them know, just not even forget about camping, what a national park is. 
And then B, hey, here's what camping is like. Noah Bear is not going to eat you. you and there's Probably. all this spectrum of opportunity. Plan Yosemite, at least. Yes. Grizzly bears, if you're in a grizzly country, that's a different story. Just in terms of that spectrum of opportunity. Hey, if you want to go to housekeeping camp and you don't want to deal with buying your own sleeping bag and all that stuff, that is available to you. If you want to go on the backcountry thing and you want to have that real wilderness experience, that's available to you too. If you want to go to a hotel, that's available. All this stuff is available. And I don't think people really know that. They just think, oh, that's out in nature. I have to go, go to the bathroom in the woods. It all, for us, it all translates back to the bathroom. And that's what you've seen, I think, traditionally with hundreds of years of camping, not necessarily digital marketing, obviously, although in the ground for a little bit, but marketing in general, that's what we've long been taught and trained because that's what, let's be honest, that's what camping was for much of the history of camping. Yeah. But now it's flipped into all these different styles of accommodations. I think there's obviously good organizations like Go RVing who are taking care of the marketing of the RVing aspect side of it, but there's not really an organization that's tackling the everything aspect of it. And maybe that's something. I don't know. Honestly, I think if you have an RV, you know, you're familiar enough with the camping opportunities available to you. If you're just unfamiliar with everything, you're not going to go run out and buy an RV. You're going to like maybe test the water. For sure. So this is it. So go RVing is going to probably kill me for saying this on a live show, right? But this is one of the things that sometimes frustrates me about a, a go RVing commercial is that you see the RV for one second out of 30 and everything else is like beaches and butt. And that's great. Like I want to go experience that. What does that have to do with RVing? It needs to link together more in a cohesive way, like a beachfront campground or a national park campground or that takes RV, right? And I don't know how that works, or maybe they, I'm sure they've done studies and they've proven that my idea is stupid. That's why it was never done, but that's what I feel. Uh, Toby from KOA was talking about the whole path people take. People usually start off with tent camping and then they graduate to RVs or trailers. Mm -hmm. or so like, how do you... How do you move someone along that path and reduce the pain points? Obviously, if you're not going to just go buy the 52 foot RV right out the gate and spend all this money. You want to like kind of test the waters first. So maybe renting an RV first. Yeah. Right? So I think yeah. those new business opportunities are here, right? From the outdoorsies and the RV shares and things like that weren't here before. So there was almost, there wasn't that gateway before what? I mean, they, when was the big RV rental like boom, five, six years ago? Was when I first started hearing about them all over the place. I'm sure they existed in some fashion. Like obviously there's Canada Dream and Cruise America, right? But there was no yeah. real big marketing push behind them that I heard before five or six years ago. And I think that's maybe the mythology too. Is, is you're, Cause you're right. And that's why I brought it up. It's cool. This beach is amazing and I want to go to it. I'm not sure I'd love to RV, but I'm not going to go drop a hundred thousand dollars on a rig because it's something. If I've got yeah. one, I already know. So how do we then bridge the gap, get more people camping and that's not go RVing's responsibility they're the rv side they're doing it well but how do we bridge that gap between everybody else i think we've also got to keep a really honest and clear perspective on our infrastructure and like how do we support all these people whether they have rvs or tents mm -hmm. side just for a little data in 2022 the u.s we sold about half a million new rvs and trailers there are 600,000, David, back check me here, but I was told there are 600,000 campsites on public land in the entire United States of America. So in one year, we sold about as many RVs as there are campsites on top of all the other, other RVs that are out there. 
And we wow. hear all the time from the RV Dealers Association here in California, or I remember having a very interesting conversation with the CEO of Airstream because people buy these RVs and then there's not enough places to go. Yeah. And how do we solve that too? Right. And I feel that because- Right, like, we've talked. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jamie, please. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we see that as campgrounds as folks do go out and they buy an RV spontaneously. Maybe they're at an RV show or whatever. It catches them on a whim. And then they call around and there's seasonal wait lists and everyone's packed and they can't get in anywhere. And those are hard conversations to have with people because everyone should be able to go camping. But at least in the South Shore and Nova Scotia, it really is a problem. But maybe have we funneled too many people towards RVs instead of just, obviously there are people who love RVs. There is a huge demand for them that's not going away. But is, are we funneling the wrong type of people who might enjoy a slightly different camping experience toward an RV when maybe that wouldn't, maybe that would make them happy, but not the happiest. I don't know if anybody actually wants to answer that question. It's a good question. RVs are amazing, though. I think yeah, I'm not writing them at all. But just like we talked about experiences, right? There are people who will love RVs, and there's a lot of those people. But if we do have an inventory shortage problem, maybe yeah. that can be helped a little bit by directing people who might like glamping more or might like the tent with a cot more or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. And our tent sites, for example, are so beautiful and secluded. They're some of our best sites here that they sit vacant most of the time. And the demand really is around RV spots. And they're getting bigger and bigger too, right? Like we're even having to turn folks away because sorry, we can't, we don't have room for your 50. So yeah, there is something to be said for as folks are moving along this continuum of tenting to RV to bigger RV. It's like that funnel needs to keep feeding these folks that just love traditional camping, the yeah. roots of it. Jamie, I'd love to talk to you about those vacant tent sites because not, oh, I've got ideas too. We can Perfect. all talk. Totally yeah, about this path is so smart, right? Because it really is often, not to generalize, because I've met plenty of like super fit, healthy retirees who still tend to, mm -hmm. like all the respect to them. But that is a bit of the edge case. What we see as it is more the younger people yeah. who are just coming out of college and they really want a tent camp. And that's something that I think the hip camp brand has done really well is attract that younger audience and made this something that is part of, part of that younger cultural generational identity. And it is important, Ryan, to have, make sure we're matching the right demand with the right supply. And Absolutely. I think it's also, it's fascinating to me, we only have a minute left, right? But it's fascinating to me that these campgrounds that exist nowadays, that the, even the traditional campgrounds, they've got tent camping, they've got RVs, but now they're also adding cabins. Now they're also adding glamping. And I think a lot of them aren't putting a lot of cohesive and direct thought into the types of marketing that they're doing, going back to the same pictures and experience, but also we've got all these places, but I've been running an RV park for four years and this stuff is new to me. So I'm just going to market my RV sites. And then that kind of, that ends up with tents sitting empty or cabins not being as full as they should be. And this is a problem we see with hundreds of people we do marketing for. It's very easy to fill up RV sites. It's more challenging, even with direct Google ad targeting to fill up cabins at a campground. Because a lot of the general public doesn't associate those two things as campers. But there's a broader audience out there, I think, is the messaging. So any final thoughts before we wrap up here? No? Everybody's going to be shy now? Okay. Everybody's <laughs> going to go. So thank you so much, David. I appreciate you joining us. I'd love to have you back sometime to, to do more of a deep dive, just maybe into the national park system. If you have some suggestions for guests, just let us know. We'd love maybe to do, to, like, even a whole show to, to the national parks. I think it would be amazing mm -hmm. to highlight 
even some of the underserved properties, yeah. maybe that's a, maybe that's a path toward, instead yeah, of always thinking about Yosemite and the Grand Canyon and places like that, maybe we can bring some of those people on who staff those properties to highlight that. Alyssa, thank you so much as always being here. We'll certainly have you back anytime you want. There's so many more things we can talk about hip camp. And I think you and I share some of the same philosophies around camping and public lands and things like that. So anything we can do to work together, push that stuff. And Jamie as well from the Hay River Campground, wish you all the best filling those tent sites, but also continue your success with the RV sites and beautiful cottage behind you. And then we lost black strength, I think, but we'll just assume that you guys were grateful for you. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next week on another episode of MC Fires at Chats. Take care, guys. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 